God's word. Father, thank you for your blessings. Thank you for today and for all the things that you have, have blessed us with and that you are doing in our, in our midst even right now. And Father, we pray that you would speak to our hearts and to our lives as we spend time today in your word, as we, as we study together and as we trust God to do, uh, to, for you, God, to do what only you can do. And Father, we pray that you would touch each of our lives today as we continue through this, this book of James. We pray that your spirit would move and work uh, not only in this room, but in each of our lives. And we'll give you glory and praise for what you're going to do. For we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, as we get started, I do want to thank you for your prayers. I know that you're praying for me because I, I'm feeling better every day. I, I do appreciate that. And, um, and, but keep praying because I've still got a little ways to go. Barb's feeling, we're both feeling much better than we were last weekend. And, um, and so I uh, do appreciate your prayers this past week. Um, how many of you ever been shopping and ended up with things you didn't expect when you, when you walked out? You go to the grocery store. Let's, let's just walk through the grocery store. You go to Walmart. You can go to, you can go to uh, Rayleigh's across the freeway here. You could go to um, CVS. You could go. It doesn't matter what store you go to anymore. Uh, when you get to the checkout stand, what do you find next to that you have to walk by at the checkout stand to get to where you want to pay you find impulse racks that's what they're called impulse racks and what do you find on them you find things like like gum and breath mints and uh, you name it anymore it's there all kinds of candy and little packs of kleenexes and and hand sanitizers and, you know, spare tires. No, no, no. But you find all kinds of stuff, don't you? Why? Because they understand that you probably are still going to have some money in your pocket if you don't pick up a few more things on the way out. And they, and they want you to buy, and we buy them. I mean, who can, who can... One time I remember walking by one, and, and they have those racks of, newspa- of, of really strange newspapers, too. And, and it was like, you know, it was like... Hogzilla, you know, this, you know, this mutant 12-foot, you know, hog that, that ate, you know, Atlanta, Georgia, you know, and, and stuff was there. And, you know, who can pass that up? You've got to buy that just to find out what happened to Atlanta, you know, and, 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 and we do that. And so they put these, these, these high markup, low-cost items by the register so that, so that we, and leave it to our inclination toward impulsiveness to do the rest. And it works, obviously, because every store does it. In fact, Target does it both ways. They do it on the way in and the way out, don't they? You know, you go to a Target store, they're all the same. You walk in, you got to walk like, you know, like a half a mile to get to anywhere because they want you way in the store. And the first thing you find are impulse things. They're all like 50 cents and a dollar. And then, in case you do have any leftover, they do it again to you on the way out. That's, that's marketing. That's what they do because they know that people by nature are impulsive. They just know us too well. And everyone is impulsive in one way or another. At least that's what we have a tendency toward. But our goal in the Christian life, friends, is to go beyond living by impulse and learn to live by principle. And so today we're dealing with vintage Christianity. We're looking at 
this, this old, old, old book in the New Testament, one of the oldest books of the New Testament, written by the half-brother of our Savior, Jesus Christ, James, uh, who is writing to the Christians who are dispersed all around the Gentile world in that first Christian century, who've been going through all kinds of hardships. They're, they're dispersed because of the persecution and the hardship. They, they're jobless. They don't have any... They, they, were, they had no place to live. Their homes were taken from them. Some of them were killed, had been killed. Others had been beaten. And, and so now they're, they've gone through this hard time. And, and James is talking with them and saying, let me give you some encouragement. And, and also let me share with you the principles on which we are to live this new life in Jesus Christ. Because you've got to remember that, these are, that this Christian movement, this being a Christian and living the Christian life was brand new stuff. There was no New Testament for them to go to. They had not grown up going to Sunday school. They were living this out for the very first time with not a whole lot of examples to look at. And so James writes and he says, let me share with you some principles on which you have to live. He says, you're going to have to get past the impulsiveness of life and you're going to have to learn to, to be uh, one who lives on, on, on the principles. And so today... Uh, he is discussing DIY, uh, DIY good. did I say that right? DIY I put that in wrong, didn't I? No, I did right. DIY discipleship. Discipleship, growing in Jesus Christ, maturity. Do it yourself. Maturity. Because they didn't have a lot of places they could go for help. So how can you Grow, and you have responsibility. You have the primary responsibility for your Christian growth. Now, he gives to you pastors and Sunday school teachers and leaders, but, but ultimately, you're the one who has to decide whether you're going to follow any of that, or whether, and you still have to grow. That's your responsibility as a Christian. And so, he says, you've got to begin to take some responsibility here, and impulsiveness is not going to get you there. So, we have to, he says, you have to learn to live above your impulses. Uh, we have them, we just don't need to always act on them. So, today we're looking at James, the second half of chapter 1. James chapter 1, verses 19 to 27. Sometimes, we have to, we have to face it. We have inappropriate impulses, don't we? Uh, you know, we, we don't like to talk about them a whole lot. Uh, we don't want to share them out loud, particularly. We have inappropriate sexual impulses, we, we, but we, most of the times we don't act on them uh, as Christians. Sometimes we have impulses to quit our job, or we have impulses to buy a Porsche, or, or we have impulses to buy like an 85-inch flat-screen TV. But we, we don't always act on them, do we? Fortunately, you know, sometimes people do. I, I just heard yesterday that most most Christians, not just the world, but most Christians live on 110% of their income every month. Now, you figure out what that means. If everybody's living on 110% of their income, that means that they're, they're going into debt at least 10% of their income more each month. Um, that's that's a scary thing. So we do have a lot of Christians who are still living in impulse. They're buying the 80-inch TV screen that they have no wall big enough to put on. But they're, they're buying it anyway. Um, and, and sometimes we have impulses just to run away and never look back. And most of the time, though, we, we don't act on those. And that's a good thing. 
But that doesn't mean that we don't act on some that we shouldn't. Uh, there is one impulse, however, and I want you to see this. There's one impulse that we're most likely to indulge as Christians, and that's the impulse to express inappropriate anger. The impulse to express inappropriate anger. I've seen even the most self-controlled Christians that I know, people who would never be late for anything, people who would never be overdrawn at the bank, have a hard time denying this impulse to act out inappropriately in anger. When something gets under your skin, if you're like most of us, you want to sound off about it. And when it gets bad enough, you want to do something like this baseball coach uh, by the name of, of um, well, he's a former baseball coach now, I should say, uh, by the name of Joe Nikolic. Now, I, I really debated showing this. It was like three minutes and 30 seconds. Back in June of, I think it was like June 29th of 2006, he was a, he was a minor league, I mean, class A league. I mean, this is barely, you know, this is just right getting started as a, as a, as a major league player. Um, and in the South Atlantic League of the Asheville Tourists, and they were, they were, they were playing the Lexican Legends. And uh, the Empire <coughs> made a, a call against the Asheville team uh, that he coached. Uh, at second base, and he got so angry that he went out and, and, and did what all baseball coaches do, you know, they get mad and get angry, but this guy threw a three and a half minute tirade, and you can, you can Google this thing, just Google Joe Mikulik, and uh, you'll be surprised, and, and, and he actually does the same thing again uh, in 2012 and got fired finally, but he should have been fired the first time, but he, he, he goes through and he, and, he, and, he, and, he, and he gets in the umpire, the second base umpire's face, then he goes out slides headfirst into second base and then and then takes the base out throws it out into third out into center field and then he comes back yells at the umpire some more and uh, then goes into the dugout comes back out and and kicks dirt not just a little bit of dirt makes a a pile, a, a, a pile of dirt on the home plate goes back in the dugout uh, throws baseball bats out onto the field uh, then comes back out with water and pours water on home plate, gets behind home plate and teaches the home plate umpire how to call balls and strikes, and then yells some more at the home plate umpire, goes back out, yells again at the second base umpire, and finally leaves by the, leaves by a center field gate out there. And it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a classic video. Uh, it's raw footage. You don't hear anything. Uh, but, but it is, it is, it, time was just, just completely inappropriate. Now, I, I used to coach a little bit of baseball when, when my son was little, and I would coach Little League, and even my brother's team when, when he was little. And every coach gets mad sometimes at a call. Calls don't always go your way. But this guy was just way, 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 way over the top. Um, and, in that same year, an interesting thing, the same year, that same summer in 2006, uh, the, the, in the World Cup finals, there was a player who was, and I'm, I'm not a great soccer fan, but he was at, at that time in 2006 considered one of the five greatest soccer players ever to have lived, male soccer players ever to have lived, uh, French player Zindine Zindane, and he played for the, he was playing for the, the French team for the World Cup in the finals. 
And he was retiring after that final game. This was his last game. He was, he, he was this pin, is a pinnacle of, of where he should have been. He got to the last, the last period and one of the opposing players made an inappropriate comment to him about his sister to get his goat. And he got so mad that he headbutted the guy in the chest. It is such a famous thing that they actually made a bronze sculpture of him headbutting this guy in the chest. Uh, and, uh, and he was kicked out of the game. And when he was kicked out of the game, that meant that the other team tied it up. And in an overtime, they won. And so they lost the World Cup finals on his last game of his career because he could not control his anger. And in fact, today he would tell you, he, he would tell you that had they allowed me to play, I would have felt guilty the rest of my life that I knowing that I should not have been in that game because I acted inappropriately. That's what indulging impulse does to you. It, do, it can undo a lifetime of good effort or at least it can taint it if we can't learn to control it. So James finishes chapter 1 by telling us what constitutes pure and undefiled or genuine religion. Um, and, and so I want to share with you today three principles that James shares in leading to pure religion. Three principles that we have to practice if we want to have our lives reflect that pure religion that God calls us to. It begins, first of all, by telling us to do something very simple, something that, that anyone can do. He says, first of all, talk less and listen more. That doesn't sound so hard, does it? Talk less and listen more. In verse 19, he says, My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be, should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Now, you got to remember, you talk less and you listen more. What's the object of that? The object of that is, to, is, to, is anger control. It is to control inappropriate anger so that you're not, you're not letting go with anger that you should not be responding to that way. The next verse, verse 20, goes on to say, For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. So one of the steps to accomplishing anger control, if I want the righteous life that God desires for me, and I think that's what you want for you, then, then how do I get there? How do we get there? Well, he says, then you have to listen more and you have to talk less and you have to slow down when you feel anger coming on. You have to, you have to be able to do that. Um, you know, it's, it's amazing. If you, for those of you who go online, you can, you can read something. You can read an article. You can read something about sports. You can read a blog. You can read Christian blogs about Christian topics. And somebody will say the most... The most, um, you know, innocent statement, and then people will respond to it, and people will respond in the most hateful ways, even on Christian blogs. And I'm thinking, really? That's what you got out of this? That's, you know, that you just, you just, you're just inappropriately uh, attacking somebody that you don't even know, probably, and and uh, and what they said, and then they get in these all kinds of rants, and everything goes all kinds of different directions. And you know, what is the purpose of that? Why are you doing that? And the bottom line is that most of the things that we get worked up about, most of the stuff that we get angry about, really isn't worth getting worked up about in the first place. 
And if we'll approach things with a little more, just a little more slowly and with a little more consideration, then we're going to have time to think about them before we act and before we speak. And, and we're going to get through things with some better choices. And that's what James is saying here. He's saying, slow down, be deliberate in what you're doing. Um, he says, pay attention to what you hear. And, and process your emotional reactions carefully because if you fly off the handle and say something foolish, then you're going to have a really hard time uh, to make things right in God's sight. In fact, you'll sabotage good things that you're, that you're trying to do. And so he's talking about the principle, and the principle he's telling you to practice is this. He says, practice the principle of deliberation. Practice the principle of deliberation. That means give yourself some time to see things clearly. Ben Franklin understood this principle. He said, when you get angry, before you speak, count to ten. And then he said, when you get really angry, count to a hundred. What is he saying? Slow down. Just slow down. And give yourself time to think and decide the best way to approach the problem. So you think first and you proceed with caution. And the Christian life is lived by saying no to your impulses and yes to the right principles. And that's what leads to pure and undefiled religion. The second thing that James says if we're going to live a life of pure and undefiled religion, is to take a long look at who it is that God wants you to be. You need to slow down and control your impulses and then begin to take a long look at who it is that God wants you to be. You see, the standard for the Christian life is not set by others. It's set by the example of Jesus Christ in the Word of God. Um, if you judge yourself according to how you measure up to other people, then, then you're never going to have a clear idea of where you stand in God's eyes. But that's what Satan tells us to do. Satan tells us, well, look at that person. You're better than they are. Look at the person across the aisle. You don't do what they do. Look at that person who's sitting up in front of you. You're not like them, and, and so you're, you're better than they are. And so if you decide that's who you're going to compare yourself to, you're going to always lose out on that deal. Because God's not comparing you to anybody else in this room. Not one person in here is being compared to anybody else in God's eyes. You know who he's comparing you to? Jesus Christ. He's saying, here is my word. He is the living word. And I'm going to compare you to him. So if you want to be compared to somebody, you can be compared to him. And if that's the case, we're, we're in trouble, aren't you? Aren't we? We all are. And if, and if you're like most people, that's, that's what's likely to happen. On, on certain days, you're going to convince yourself that, that you're the one sitting, setting that curve for holiness. Boy, God, you're sure lucky I have, you have me. Everybody, I'd be just like I am. And, and I, I'm, I'm right there with you, God. And, and I don't know why the other people in church aren't. I don't know why the other people at work aren't. I don't know why the rest of my family isn't. But, boy, you're, glad, you're sure good that I'm on your side, God. And, and, and you don't see your faults. And, and, or maybe you do see some. And you say, yeah, well, maybe I do this, but at least I don't do what they do. But then, on other days, you're going to get up 
and, and you're going to see exactly the opposite thing. You're going to feel exactly the opposite. You're going to, you're going to be convinced that you are certainly the most wretched creature on the planet. You probably are even worse than Saddam Hussein was at his heyday. You know, God, I don't know how you could love me. I don't know how you could want me on your team. I don't know how you could call me your child. I am the most despicable person, obviously, that you ever created. You'll find that. God, you're sure lucky. I'm, I'm setting the curve for holiness for you here, God. And the next day is, God, I don't understand why you would even love me. I am so wretched. We do that, don't we? Because we look at the wrong place. We're trying to decide about our holiness based on people around us. And that causes confusion in our lives. And it, and it, and it, it just causes us to, to just kind of stall out and not know where to go. And James understands that, and he uses this example of looking in a mirror, but doing nothing to approve your appearance. Now, now two images come to mind to me when I, when I, when I read this passage. One is that old, that old sitcom, you know, that comedy, Happy Days. Remember, ever you can be honest. You, you, you saw that Happy Days, and and one of the key guys was the Fonz, right, Fonzie. And you'll know this. He was always going. If any time you went by a mirror, didn't remember where the mirror was, he'd stop by the mirror and he would grab his comb out of his pocket, and you know, and he had all this, you know, with all this, you know, grease in his hair and everything. And he would and he would stop and he would get ready to comb his hair, and before he would touch his hair, he'd say, "Hey." Yeah, it's good. I don't need to do anything. I got it done. I'm already perfect. And some days we see ourselves that way. And then the other thing comes to mind is that we look in the mirror and we completely ignore what the mirror is telling us. Again, you you don't have to raise your hand on this. Have you ever been out to a restaurant with some people? And you, you excuse yourself maybe, you know, halfway through the meal or toward the end of the meal to go to the restroom. And, and you get to the restroom and, and, uh, and you get there and, and to wash your hands. And there's usually a mirror there. And you look in the mirror and you realize that you spilled something down the front of yourself. You had no idea it was there. Nobody said anything about it. And you got a choice to make, don't you? You either clean it up and go out and sit down and start the meal again. Or you just ignore it. Well, that would be kind of stupid to ignore it, wouldn't it? And you go out and you sit down, and maybe everybody says, laughs with you. And they say, ha, 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 we, you know, we just want to see how long you would sit there with it on you before you understood. And then we also wanted to see if when you came back, that, that if it was still there, we would know that you didn't wash your hands. And everybody would laugh at you, right? Well, it would be silly to look Notice that you've got a big blob of food on, on the front of your dress or your shirt and not do anything about it, wouldn't it? And James says that, that sometimes we do that. Sometimes we look in the mirror and we don't, and we don't pay attention. Um, he says this way, in James chapter 1, verses 22 through 24, he says, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looked like. And then he makes this compelling point in verse 25. 
But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. Now, the example of the mirror is this really good analogy. Um, think of what mirrors would have been like in James' day. They weren't made of glass. That wasn't, they didn't have the glass to make them out of like they are today. They, what they were really made out of was really finely polished metal of some kind or another. It was either brass or bronze or if they were really rich, silver or, or really, really rich gold. Uh, and, but even, even with those, the very best mirrors, um, that, you know, you had to hold them at a certain angle and with just the right amount of light and you had to look really hard into them to be able to see your reflection. Because they didn't reflect like a glass mirror does today. Um, but if you want to see yourself, it took a little bit of effort, but you could, you could have it happen. And so Jesus, excuse me, James rather, uses uh, an even stronger, uh, a stronger word here. He says, again in verse 25, he says, The man who looks intently, I want you to, I want you to underline those words in your Bible, looks intently, um, and, and uh, maybe in your Bible it says carefully. You know, there's this idea that they're looking really hard into that. And he says they're looking hard, what? Into the mirror of what? The law of God. He says they're looking into the law of God. And why would they do that? Because they want to see what God's word says that he wants them to be. So he says you focus, you look intently, you look carefully, you study God's word so that you can find out what it is that God, or I should say who it is, that God wants you to be. Your focus shouldn't be on yourself or anyone else. Your focus is on God's law, on his word. Not the image, uh, excuse me, on the image of who he wants you to be, not the image of who you think you ought to be. And so James says, you look intently into the law, and he's saying, examine it, examine it, you study it, you get to know it. And what's he talking about? He's saying, here's a principle I want you to practice. Practice the principle of reflection. Practice the principle of reflection. Uh, this is a play on words that I, I used on purpose here. Uh, and, and here's why. When you reflect on something, what do you do? You think about it. You meditate on it. You contemplate it. Those kinds of things. You let it keep ruminating in your, in your mind. You just, you just kind of let it roll over and over and over inside of your head. And that's what James is telling us to do right here. He says, reflect on the law of God because the more you reflect on God's law, the more time you spend in his word, the more time you spend reading it and studying it and meditating on it and memorizing it. He said the more time you do that, the more you're going to get God's word into your daily life. He says, don't look intently at yourself. Why? Because I don't know who I am. Some days I am the I'm I am the bar setter for holiness. Some days I am the scum of the earth. I don't need to look at myself. I need to look at God's law. It's true. It's real. It doesn't change. 
And so I look at his law, I look at his word, and I reflect on that, and I look intently at what God wants me to be. So I reflect on that image so that I can then begin to reflect that image. When I, when I take it in intently, it reflects out of me. That's God's plan. That's God's desire for you, that you and I would reflect his glory and the image of who he wants us to be. And he says that's the principle of reflection, and it leads to pure and undefiled religion. And then he says, here's one more principle you have to understand if you want to live a life of pure and undefiled religion. He says, thirdly, start taking care of someone. Start taking care of someone else. In James 1.22, we're exhorted by James, be doers of the word and not hearers only. Be doers of the word and not hearers only. Now, at the end of the chapter, he tells us what it means to be a doer. Listen to what he says in verse 27. He says, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this. To look after, and underline those words, to look after. To look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Now, he says to look after. In, in the New Living Translation, I, I like what it, the word that, that, that they use to translate that term, look after, or uh, care in some some in, in King James, or King James says visit, but in New Living Translation, it uses the phrase uh, care, or, or caring for. It says, you are to care for, you are to look after, you're to take care of, you're to visit those people who are in need. The poor, the widows, the orphans. The Greek word, all those words, does, whether you're using look after, care for, or visit, they all come from, they're all, they're all ways of, of interpreting one Greek word, episkopos. Episkopos. Episkopos, in Greek, is also the word that we get our word, in English, overseer or bishop. Now, those are, those are two terms that refer to the pastor. So the pastor is the, the episkopos. He is the overseer, the bishop of the body of Christ. Uh, he is the shepherd of the body of Christ. Um, he is the elder of the body of Christ. But he uses this term not in terms of pastors, because James isn't writing just to pastors. He's writing to all Christians. So he says... In the same way that your pastor is the overseer or the bishop of you, you need to be the overseer or bishop of some people in, in your sphere of influence who are hurting. You need to take care of them. You need to look after them. You need to bishop them. And, and he's talking about taking on a role of protective leadership in people's lives. People who need you the most. Now, generally, in the early days of the church, when, when James was writing this, the neediest people were orphans and widows. 
because there was no Social Security, there was no Medicare, there was no there there were no social agencies that were going to take care of people. It was it was either you had family who would take care of you, you had your own resources that would take care of you, or you were just in bad shape. And orphans had no resources typically, and widows usually had no resources because they didn't own anything. The the husbands owned it, and when they died. Most of the time, that was taken away from the widows. And so they were left destitute. And so he says to the church, he says, there are people that are around you, orphans and the widows, who nobody else is going to take care of, and so you need to take care of them. You need to, you need to watch out for them. You need to, you need to take care of their needs. And, and so James says, if you really want to impress God with your spirituality, then you take care of those who cannot take care of of themselves or cannot help themselves. Now, that's, that's, that we still have orphans, we still have widows, and obviously we still need to take care of them, but there's probably a few others, or sometimes there's single moms and others in our communities that really need our help, and we need to take care of them. And so we do that, and that's why we, we have things like food banks, and we support that, and we have pregnancy help centers, and we help support that, or we get involved with those things, and we, and we, and we, and we do all kinds of different helping ministries uh, because it is, the, it, is the, it, is the, it is the spiritual thing to do. It is the command of, of James that says that this is what true religion is, that we put feet to our religion, and we put hands to our religion, and we touch people's lives. Um, and so we, we need to do that. Um, Paul says pretty much the same thing in Galatians 6, 2. He says, bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. So Paul says it. He says, this is, this is Christ's command to us. And, and, and what does Jesus say? He says, you love God with all your heart, love your, all your soul and all your body and, and, and all your strength. And he says, and then you go out and love your neighbor as yourself. And if you can love your neighbor as yourself, that means you're going to get involved with them and you're going to take care of their needs uh, where it is necessary. And, and James also says that we should refuse to let the world pollute us. He says we take care of those who are hurting and we refuse to let the world uh, pollute us. You can, right there at the end, he says, keeping oneself from being polluted by the world in verse 27, that word world there. That term is used throughout the New Testament to describe fallen human nature and, and our fallen systems of philosophies and values. That's the word cosmos. It's a, in Greek. It means, it means the, not the, not the, not the, the earth, not the, not the soil and the, and the vegetation and the oceans. And he's talking about the, the systems or the, 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 the way that we think and, the, and what drives our society. And he says we have to be careful not to give in to that. Uh, the world tells you that material possessions bring fulfillment and, and that your happiness should be your top priority and gratification is a legitimate goal and, uh, of whatever that, whatever that gratification is and, and, and you have a right to seek revenge against your enemies and that, that power and wealth and prestige are the ultimate achievements. And you, you, know, you know them all. We, we, we go with them all the time. We live in them. That's where we live, in a society that... that, that, that lifts those ideals up or those those things up and 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 basically that's the world's thinking in a nutshell and some christians buy into it hook line and sinker he said we shouldn't do that and some churches buy into the philosophy is that as well and 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 that's how the world thinks and and james says don't let it corrupt you and what's he talking about he's talking about the principle that we have to practice is the principle of 
of influence. He says, you need to practice the principle of deliberation. You need to practice the principle of reflection. And you need to practice the principle of influence. I think we all know what influence is. He's saying, in effect, that you should be influencing the world around you, Christian. That you and I should be the influencers of what's going on. Providing protective leadership to those who need it and who are vulnerable and, and taking care of those who cannot take care of themselves. And, and we should be an influence in the world, but the world should not be an influence on us. I began saying this morning that we have to be careful about yielding to impulses, specifically that impulse to inappropriate anger. And I said the goal of the Christian life is to go beyond living by impulse to living by principle. Because that enables you to become a doer of the word. When I live by impulse, then I can't, I can't really live according to God's word. Because some days my impulses will just be completely, di- uh, just completely diametric to what God wants me to do. But if I live by principle, then when I come to God's word... And it says, all right, you need to slow down or you need to, you need to take care of somebody or you need to reflect my glory. Then I can make that choice. And I can live according to those principles. And that's how you get there to pure and undefiled religion. You practice the principle of deliberation. You slow down. You give them walls to blow your top. And, and to do anything just a little foolish, the, you apply the brakes and you proceed with caution. And you give yourself some time to think. And you practice the principle of reflection. You spend time in God's Word every day. And you, and you focus on the person that God wants you to be. You reflect on the law of God and, 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 and so that your life will begin to reflect the presence of God in your life. And then... You practice the principle of influence. Begin providing protective leadership to those who are hurting. And many of you do a great job of that already, but we need to continue to do that. So when does that ever end? I guess when we get to heaven. Not before. Jesus said you'll always have the poor. You'll always have the needy among you. It's not going to end for us, friends. You don't, you don't outgrow that. You don't outage that. You just do it. You say, this is, this is the Christian life. This is what glorifies God. And so I will take care of those who are hurting. I will always be a part of that. And, and then you say, I, and I refuse to be influenced by the world. I am going to be an influencer, not an influencee. And James says, that leads you into pure and undefiled religion. Let's pray together. Father, thank you that you love us enough to come and live in our midst. That you sent your son Jesus Christ to die in our place so that we might know what it is to have our sins forgiven because sometimes we feel pretty great about ourselves but mostly we know that we are wretched. And there's no good in us. And we had no hope without Jesus. Father, we thank you that you sent him to die in our place. And we thank you that he came willingly, endured the cross, the pain and the suffering, and became our sin, dying 
to pay the price for our indiscretions so that we might live. And so, Father, help us to live according to that example. To say, God, we don't want to live according to the world. We want to live in a way that glorifies you, that shows that you are real in our lives. That our religion, that our beliefs, that our, that our lives mean something of eternal value because of who you are in us. So, Father, help us to move beyond an impulsive lifestyle to one of a principled decision-making purposeful lifestyle that says, in all that I do, Jesus, I want you to be Lord. I want you to be glorified. Now, Father, speak to our hearts right now as we make decisions. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.